the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country cheers with me. Sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. And a good morning to you. Thanks so much for joining us. We are underway at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this 30th morning, the penultimate morning of the 10th month in the year of our Lord, twenty. 23. Thank you so much for being with us. we got a lot of things to talk about today. Jim Jordan, the congressman and the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, the Weaponization Subcommittee, also on the Oversight Committee, will be with us to talk about the new direction of the People's House of Representatives under the leadership of the new Speaker, Mike Johnson, who, of course, was uh, voted in late last week, mid last week, I guess I should say, uh, after uh, a chaotic three weeks or so. Uh, we'll just call it chaotic, and we'll say it's over now. We have a speaker. Let's hope that this works out for all of us. I have some confidence, based on early statements made by new speaker Mike Johnson, that we could very well benefit from his leadership. That is not to say that we could not have if McCarthy was still in the uh, you know holding the gavel. But again, what has happened has happened. Where are we now? We might be in a better place. We might be in the same place. We still have the same numbers. 
The majority is still slim, razor thin to be more precise. And so, you know, it's really just a matter of, uh, of, of what kind of uh, deals can be struck. Uh, so we're going to talk to Jim Jordan about that and what the priority is. By the way, for Speaker Johnson's uh, part in all of this, he has made a statement because he was on the same committees that were chaired by Jordan. He was on the Judiciary Committee. He was on the Weaponization Subcommittee. And so he was a big, big part of the investigations that were going on and revealing all of the corruption in the first family of crime. And, of course, I speak of the Biden family. Um, and he has declared that just because he is leaving that committee and now taking uh, the gavel as the speaker, he's leaving those committees, uh, the work will go on. Quote, we have an ongoing cover-up of the important facts as Joseph Biden is sitting in the Oval Office. We know that he stared right into the camera as the pre- as the president and lied repeatedly. I mean, multiple times. He lied directly multiple times about his involvement and knowledge of his son's business dealings. We all know that now, Johnson said. He declared that the work will go on to try to bring uh, transparency and sunlight and uh, integrity uh, back to the federal government. So the investigations are not winding down just because he's leaving it. As a matter of fact, he's going to encourage uh, Jim Jordan and the ch- and uh, Chairman Comer of the Oversight Committee to keep doing what they are doing. So that's a big deal. So we're going to talk about that with Jim Jordan. A little bit later on today, we're going to talk about Issue 1 with Logan Church, as we are now just eight days away from the election day, the official election day. Again, I tell you, do not wait. Please go and get your votes banked. Give yourself a little bit of extra time. In case something goes wrong at the Board of Elections, you'll still have tomorrow, you'll still have Wednesday, you'll still have Thursday at the point. If there's anything that goes haywire, either on your end personally, the car won't start, the person you were going to go voting with got sick, so now you got nobody to go with, and I'm literally just making stuff up here. Whatever might get it, or you get there, and you found out the hours you had intended to go were wrong, and that the Board of Elections is not open, oh, dang it, now what do I do? Don't play games with something as vitally important. Arguably, the most important constitutional amendment ever proposed in the state of Ohio. Arguably. I don't want to go back and list them all, but you do understand the point, right? We are talking about, we are talking about the most extreme uh, abortion and parental rights law in the 50 states. That's what would be in effect if this thing passes on Tuesday, next Tuesday. So don't wait. Uh, give yourself some time. Go to the elections board and cast your vote early. Do it today or do it tomorrow, whatever you can. Don't wait until Tuesday. And then those who did wait will have to come out in force on Tuesday to make sure that we defeat that, uh, that, that uh, amendment. Defeat issue one and issue two. But again, issue one, of course, is the most uh, most extreme and the most uh, dangerous that we need to focus our attention on. So we're going to talk to Logan Church about that, Ohio Right to Life, uh, and other organizations. We're going to try to dispel some of the lies, too. There are so many lies out there right now that are being told by the pro-issue one side that we have to counter those things. So Jim Jordan and Logan Church will be our guests. Outside of that, it's you and me together at 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. So those who study history and those who went to high school hopefully, should have been exposed to something called the Holocaust. Hopefully, you did indeed 
take a history class, a world history class, or an American history class in which they discuss America's role in the, in the wars, the world wars, something that told you about the gory, horrific, unimaginable, unspeakable things that were done during the Holocaust and the attempt to exterminate the entire Jewish race from the face of the earth. It was the genocide of the most epic proportions. I say that, of course, mo- you know, moderately tongue-in-cheek, because, of course, we all know about the Holocaust, right? We all did take high school history courses. We all did uh, you know, read or at least hear about some of the terrible things, right? But for those who did not, they were every bit as unspeakable as, uh, speakable as I'm describing, and it led to a phrase that we all uh, kind of embraced, not just here in the United States, but I think around the world, you know, the... The, the mission became, in the aftermath of World War II, never again. Now, if there had been Twitter and social media text jargon back then, it would have been hashtag, never again. But since, of course, none of that existed until the last 20 years or so, um, it's just never again. And that meant we will never allow what was done to the Jews in Europe during that awful period uh, to ever happen again. Why am I bringing it up? You probably know why. Because it's happening again. No, there isn't one specific force of evil like Hitler right now directing things, not specifically in that way. But what he started is being now continued by a host of others. And it is very specifically targeting the same race and ethnicity of people uh, that Hitler did, the Jews of this world. Hundreds of rioters carrying Palestinian flags, which quite frankly should not exist because there is no Palestine. You understand that? That's a that's a taboo thing to say. It's considered to be a uh, you know a a dirty word, if you will, or a dirty phrase. That there is no Palestine. There are no Palestinian people. They don't like to hear those kinds of things, but they're true. There are no Palestinian people. There are Arab Muslims from the region, but they cannot be called Palestinian because there are there is no and never has been. A Palestine. That's one of the things, again, that you're not supposed to say out loud. But they're carrying these should-not-exist-Palestinian flags in uh, in Russia, in the Dagestan region of Russia, late last night. And they were, these hundreds of rioters carrying these flags were shouting anti-Semitic slogans alternated by Allahu Akbar, which, of course, is Muslim for God, in Arabic for God is great. They stormed the main airport there in the Dagestan region because they heard about a flight that was arriving at that airport. That flight was coming from, drumroll please, Tel Aviv, Israel. Naturally, the belief is that a plane load of people from Tel Aviv, Israel, is going to be filled with Jews. And so they went for them. Russian authorities in the majority Muslim area in the Caucasus, diverted flights and closed the airport as they cleared the mob. Reuters reported 20 people were injured in the melee, two of whom are in critical condition. The identities of those hurt were not made immediately clear. 
That is one example of it, quote, happening again. These Jews on that plane from Tel Aviv were just people. Not diplomats, not members of Bibi Netanyahu's government, not members of the IDF, just Jewish people. And the Muslims in the region of Russia, where the plane was landing, found out that Jews were coming. Let's get them. You understand that? That's happening in Europe. And that is happening here in the United States as well. As more college campuses devolve, the opposite of evolution, they devolve into barbaric, savage attacks. It is so bad that at Cornell University, one of the, 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 the nation's elite Ivy League institutions, they have a dining hall that is specifically a kosher dining hall to cater to their Jewish students. Cornell University had to issue a warning telling the Jews who go to school there and go to the kosher dining hall to not go near the dining hall because it's not safe for you. We have crosstalk, and, and we, have, we have found, let me see if I can find the specific um, language of the, of, the, of the warning that was given. Let me see if I can grab this. The specific warning basically told them not to go to this hall. Here it is. Cornell Hillel is aware of a threatening statement directed toward the building at 104 West, which houses the university's kosher and multicultural dining hall, as well as more generally toward Jewish students, faculty, and staff. The Cornell University administration has been made aware of this concerning language, and the Cornell Police Department monitoring the situation and is on site uh, at 104 West to provide additional security as a precaution. At this time, we advise the students and staff to avoid the building out of an abundance of caution. We will continue to provide updates as additional information becomes available. This is posted on the Cornell website. Telling Jewish students not to go to the Jewish dining hall because they might get attacked there. Are, are you following this? Rather than telling the radical pro-Hamas savages and terrorist sympathizers on the Cornell campus that if you go anywhere near that hall and if you threaten even one Jewish student, you're expelled. Rather than telling them, if you threaten one Jewish student or faculty member on this and you are a foreign national, a Hamas supporter studying in the United States, and you have a visa, a student visa, we will contact the State Department and have your visa revoked, and you will be deported from this university, from this state, from this country, which is what they should do. They said, we'll try to protect you. We have police that are going to be on patrol there and making sure that as additional security is provided as a precaution. So when they come for you, Jews... You know, you might have a little bit of defense there. 
but stay away from it just in case. What, what century is this? What country is this? How is this even remotely possible? Remember never again? How did I start this broadcast? Well, again is here. And again is going to happen. Because we refuse to do and say what needs to be done and said to stop it. And let me be clear about something else. This this is a little bit unique because it is the next wave of anti-Semitism and attempted genocide against the Jewish people that we have had since uh, since World War II. It is the you know the second overall, um, and so it is a little bit unique in that regard because of the history. But if there was any attempted genocide against any nationality or ethnicity, I firmly believe that I and others would be saying the same things if there was one country that was not necessarily, you know, a favorite of or a trusted partner and ally of the United States, but they they were just, you know, uh, committing an atrocity against them. I feel like we would be just as outraged. And I want that to be clear, that this isn't out of some sort of fealty or debt that is owed to Israel. I think we owe a debt to humanity, if anything. There's fealty to humanity and to, and to justice, but specifically because it is the Jewish people that continue to suffer, and con- especially considering the fact that the land that they are trying to drive them from is theirs, has always been theirs. Since about 1200 B.C., in the last 3,000 years, Israelis, Israeli Jews, have owned and occupied that land. The fact that it was confirmed as a state by the United Nations in 1947-1948 didn't change that. It was never Palestine. There never was a Palestine. This has always been Israeli land. And the fact that this is the case does make this a little bit more personal. By the way, one other note on this before we take our first time out and do our pledge, and we have Jim Jordan coming up here in about, uh, we'll call it uh, 15 minutes or so. What the pro-Hamas crowds in Europe and in the United States, it's hard to believe I can even say those words, that there are pro-Hamas crowds, pro-Hamas supporters, want you to believe is that the real genocide being committed here is by the Israelis against civilians in Gaza, what they like to call Palestinians. But again, considering there is no Palestine, we'll call them what they are, which is Arab Muslims living in Gaza. But they uh, they are trying to claim that the genocide is being committed by the, Jew, by the, uh, the, the Jews, the, the Israeli Jews. They're the ones saying, how dare the leaders of Israel shut down the power and cut off food and water supplies to the people of Gaza. And what I've been saying, of course, since this first became public information, is that while you can very easily end anything that is being done to choke off Gaza and Hamas control, you could tell Hamas to release the 200-plus hostages they hold and surrender to IDF authorities to make to atone for the 1,400 Jews that they killed, including 34 Americans, 
and the 4,000 that they wounded in the horrific, barbaric, savage attacks of October 7th, you could tell them to turn themselves in and free the hostages, and then guess what? No citizens in Gaza would be harmed as collateral damage. That's one thing. But the second thing, and the reason I'm bringing it up right now, is the New York Times, of all publications, the left-wing, radical, old, gray lady New York Times ran an article over the weekend telling the truth. Who's really starving out the Gazan population? Who's really doing it? Israel or Hamas? Headline, as Gazans scrounge for food and water, Hamas sits on a rich trove of supplies. Hamas has spent years stockpiling desperately needed fuel, food, and medicine, as well as ammo and weapons, in the miles of tunnels it has carved out under Gaza. Hamas is eating, and they're fat and happy. The starving people of Gaza, the quote-unquote Palestinians, are being left helpless, not by Israel, but by Hamas. This isn't from a Salem radio host. This isn't from somebody on Newsmax. This is the New York Times telling the truth. And as long as I'm on the subject, we can also listen to the leader of Hamas himself. We'll do that later in the next half hour after Jim Jordan. But the leader of Hamas himself, Ismail Hanaya, from the comfort of his home in Qatar, made a video telling Hamas and Gazans to die, well, let me rephrase, telling Gazans to die for the cause of Hamas. And I quote, We need the blood of women, children, and the elderly of Gaza so as to awaken our revolutionary spirit. He wants them all to die because it will help revolutionize or we awaken the revolutionary spirit of the Hamas wing of, uh, of Gaza to continue their assault on Israel. Calling for the death of his own people. But we're supposed to believe that it's Israel that's causing the death of the, the Gazan people, the, the Arab Muslims who like to call themselves Palestinians. No, not so much. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob Prance on The Answer. Okay, 935. Good morning to you. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420. The answer, the new Speaker of the House of Representatives, Mike Johnson from uh, Louisiana, was on uh, with Maria Bartiromo yesterday answering a very, very important question. Uh, Are you expecting to subpoena Hunter Biden? Um, I'm I'm looking at that. You know, I think that... uh Desperate times call for desperate measures, and that perhaps is, is overdue. We've not made a full decision yet. I'm, I'm uh, counseling with the uh, attorneys involved on all of this to see what the contours are. I'm, I'm an attorney myself, so I speak the language. Um, we're trying to move forward on some of this very aggressively. I think the American people are owed these answers, and I think uh, our suspicions about all this, um, the evidence that we've gathered so far, as you, as you, as you know, uh, is, is affirming what many of us feared may be the worst. And, you know, as Jamie Comer likes to say, bank records don't lie. We already have a lot of this evidence. The dots are being connected, and we'll see where it leads. 
So subpoena for Hunter Biden in the offing. That is something that Speaker uh, Johnson uh, uh, is looking at but not made a decision on. If that happens, he'll be appearing in a committee, uh, before a committee, rather, uh, and that means he'll be appearing before J- uh, Jim Jordan. Chairman of the Judiciary Committee, also a member of the Oversight Committee, uh, Congressman Jim Jordan joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer, with the reaction to that and so much more. Congressman, good morning. How was your weekend? It was good, Bob. How about, how about you? Doing very well. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. So let's start there. Uh, first of all, if you'd yeah. like just to give me, you know, when you and I spoke last week, you um, this is right before uh, the vote for Speaker Johnson, mm-hmm. who is now Speaker Johnson, and you obviously yeah. issued an enthusiastic support and endorsement of him as Speaker. Um, he got every vote that was needed. What was the difference, do you think? You and he are very similar ideologically and in terms of the things you have worked on in Congress and in terms of the investigative committees that you both serve on. Um, you couldn't get the numbers he got the numbers what was the difference yeah well i, I mean I, I don't i don't know for sure but I, I do know mike johnson is a is a good man solid man christian man uh, the kind of guy you want in public service and frankly a good friend and as uh, as mike was just talking about uh you know member of the judiciary committee um has argued cases in front of the supreme court i think he's already off to a great start and i think he's going to do an outstanding job as as speaker of the house um I do think the first question I would ask Hunter Biden, though, Bob, if we get him in front of our, the, the committee, is I would ask him about that meeting in Dubai where the, the executives from Burisma say, we're under pressure, can you help? Devin Archer, when we deposed him, his business partner was at that same meeting, and he says, what did Hunter Biden do when he asked that question? He called his dad. I want to I get right into that thing, because that was what started back in 2015 when, they, when, they, when, when Joe Biden decided he was going to go after the, uh, the prosecutor who was putting the pressure on the Burisma executives, and of course Hunter Biden was getting paid millions of dollars from that company, Burisma. So that's right where I would start. I go right to that 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 fact pattern uh, of what happened there, because that was that was the big guy quote getting involved directly as, as a way to benefit his family. Can you talk a little bit more about the money? Because uh, as Maria Bartiromo said to uh, the new speaker there, bank records don't lie. Uh, uh, Chairman Comer of Oversight has repeatedly talked about bank records. You've talked about bank records. What do the bank records show? They show well, the, 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 in, in, a, in a broad sense, they show multiple shell companies running this money through, you know, uh, the, the various companies. They show multiple Biden family members getting paid after the money was moved through these companies over and over again, um, and it's and it's and it's a lot of money. It's twenty some million dollars over the time period. And and the brand, of course, was Joe Biden. It was the influence peddling that was being that was that was what they did. That was what the, that, that that was the that was the business operation there. So it's it's all that. And then you get into some of the specifics where. You have the two hundred thousand dollar loan repayment check that just came out two weeks ago. So all that, when you couple it with with the Barisma facts that that I, we've talked about, I think shows just how serious this influence peddling operation was, and it's why we continue to look at it, and it's why we're we're going to talk to more of of, of uh, Hunter Biden's business partners partners, and then ultimately, as uh, Chairman Comer and Speaker Johnson have talked about, I think we will ultimately talk with Hunter Biden. You uh, brought up the $200,000 check with Joe Biden's name on it uh, that kind of flew around the Internet a couple of weeks ago. Um, I want to read a quote from the attorney for James Biden, Paul Fishman, said, The Oversight Committee's description of the $200,000 check is highly selective and misleading. The committee has the bank documents that show both the loan Jim received from his brother in January of 2018 and the repayment by check six weeks later. At no time did Jim involve his brother in any of his business relationships. Um, what's your response to him? 
Well, the, the also the same day he sends the two hundred that, that James Biden sends the two hundred thousand dollar check to Joe Biden. The same day that that this this company AmeriCorps that they that's going bankrupt that he says that, you know you pay me I'll help get investors to get you back on your feet. Company they pay James Biden money that same day is when he sends the money to um, to Joe Biden. So I think that's that's pretty telling in and of itself. So the, it, the, the, what the, the what James Biden lawyer conveyed there wasn't the full story because it's AmeriCorps paying James Biden the very same day. That two hundred thousand goes in his account, then it goes to, to Joe Biden. Um, those are the kind of things we got to we got to continue, I think, to dig into. But more importantly, what are just as important, what we're doing on our committee is we're looking at the way the investigation was handled, the way the government handled this investigation. And we found out a week ago that uh, Scott Brady, the U.S. attorney in the um, in the Western District of Pennsylvania, who was tasked by Bill Barr, then Attorney General, on January 3rd, 2020, to be the clearinghouse for all Ukraine and Hunter Biden-related information. He, he gets tasked with that job. He then talks to the FBI, says, give me the information. I'll look at it. We'll get it to the right U.S. attorney. And the FBI doesn't tell him about the confidential human source for six months. And more importantly, the FBI never, ever, ever tells him about the laptop. He finds out about the laptop when it's in the news like you and I found out about it. That's how, that's how bad, that's how wrong... The government handled this investigation as a way, I believe, to protect uh, the, quote, big guy. So you believe, then, that uh, under Speaker Johnson's leadership now, the same investigations are going to continue forward? Yes, I do. Including, I do. Impeach- and, including, including the impeachment inquiry that uh, Speaker McCarthy launched? Yes, I, I do, and it, and it needs to because the facts, the evidence, warrants that kind of focused uh, oversight which is, again, part of our constitutional duties as members of Congress is to do oversight of the executive branch. And when you see that uh, the way the Justice Department, the FBI, handled this investigation, uh, we have uh, Mr. Weiss coming in next week on the 7th for uh, uh, a long deposition, I'm sure, and we'll be asking him all kinds of questions. But we've talked to Mr. Estrada, the U.S. Attorney from the Central District of California. We've talked to Mr. Graves, the U.S. Attorney from the District of Columbia. And we've talked to Scott Brady a week ago Monday uh, we could go today on the um, uh, on the uh, his job that he was tasked by the U.S. attorney uh, by, by the attorney general to do uh, regarding the Hunter Biden investigation. Uh, we're talking with uh, Congressman Jim Jordan, the chairman of the uh, House Judiciary Committee, among other uh, roles that he plays. Uh, one week from tomorrow is a big day here in Ohio because we have an issue, uh, actually a couple of uh, a couple of very important uh, uh, constitutional amendments to consider. But it's a big day for you too because one week from tomorrow is David Weiss Day, right? Yep. Yep. Can you exactly tell us? Right can, yeah. Tell us. Tell us yeah. what you tell us what you plan to discuss with uh, with Attorney Weiss. Well, it, it started from remember he told us three different stories back uh, in, in, in this past summer. He told us that on on June seventh he had complete authority to determine when, where, and whether to bring charges. Then he writes me three weeks later and says, "Well, I don't really have full authority. My authority is limited to my U.S. Attorney's District in Delaware. So you know, obviously, it can't be both. He can't tell us one thing and then turn around three weeks later and say, well, that's actually not the case.'" And then he writes Senator Graham uh, two weeks after that and, and says, uh, you know, I wish to clarify, which is, you know, always important when these guys want to clarify. I wish to clarify. He said, uh, while I don't have full authority, I've, I've had discussions with the people at Maine Justice regarding what I can do, where I can bring charges. And they've, they've, they've told me that if I need authority, I can have it. So three different things he told us in literally 33 days. And as I always point out, the, the, the story that's never changed, the testimony that's never changed, has been the whistleblower, Mr. Shapley, Mr. Ziegler, who came forward. So we're going to ask Mr. Weiss about this, like we asked uh, the Attorney General, Mr. Garland, when he was in front of our committee a few weeks back. Now we're going to get into that issue and things we've learned from 
the the um, the U.S. attorneys we have talked to, Mr. Brady, Mr. Graves, Mr. Estrada, and how that relates to the work Mr. Weiss was doing in the Hunter Biden investigation. So people ask me all the time, Congressman, listeners, and 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 people that you know follow our conversations and things you say in other places too, and they say, "What's the purpose of all of this?" They say to me, "Okay, he's going to talk to you know maybe Hunter Biden, maybe talk to David Weiss. You're going to gather all this information and then do what with it?" When you approach witnesses and and uh, investigative decisions in these committees. Do you have the end game in mind? This is what we want to find, and this is what will happen when we find it. Or is it completely open ended and open minded? We don't know what we're going to get. We're just going to we're going to poke around and see what comes up, and then maybe we'll do something. Can you speak to that? Well, it, it, it's both. I mean, I, I will I will tell you. For example, when I uh, a week ago today, when I asked uh, Scott Brady in that deposition, I said after a couple hours of asking different questions, and we were we're going through it with our with our uh, lawyers. I just decided I was going to ask him. I said, when did you learn about the laptop? Because I, I started to get this feeling like, the FBI never told him. They had the laptop for you. didn't tell him. And yet he was the guy the U.S. The, 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 the Attorney General for the United States had tasked with getting all information regarding Hunter Biden Ukraine. And the FBI had the laptop, and they never tell the guy. So I asked him, and it was funny because he got sort of this smile on his face because he, he, we were tracking. He understood, like, they didn't. I found out when you found out when it was in the press, which is just astounding to me. So... Uh, sometimes you just don't know what's going to happen. You sort of have a game plan. You have a, a, a an outline of questions you're going to ask. But sometimes you just you, you learn things that you just so even surprise you. Um, now, the, the part of the goal is just getting the information is important. And I always point to we we re, uh, released a uh, uh, report last week which talks about the IRS. The IRS is no longer making unannounced visits to Americans' homes. And, and Danny Warfel, the commissioner of the IRS, said, that's because we're concerned about our agent safety. Well, that's baloney. The reason they did this is because we caught them knocking on Matt Taibbi's door while he was testifying in front of our committee. We caught them when they went to one of our constituents in Marion, Ohio, and the local police thought this guy was a scam artist. They were getting ready to arrest this guy, and they found out, no, no, he's actually an IRS agent coming in there on, on some power-hungry trip uh, saying things to this, this lady who had done any, uh, one of our constituents had done nothing wrong. So... Sometimes just by showing what ridiculous things are going on, you stop that kind of stuff from happening. There's no longer a disinformation governance board at the Department of Homeland Security because we caught them trying to tell Americans what they can say and what they can't say, for goodness sake. So there's benefit in and of that, and then there's the additional benefit when you dig in there and you may need to change policy and or uh, ultimately hold people accountable. That is a great answer, because that's what people are looking for. People ask me all the time, is it all talk or is there action behind it? And as you just pointed out, sometimes the just the talk, just the conversations and people knowing that you are on to them stops uh, some of the things that they are doing. Uh, Congressman, I want to talk about money very quickly here before I go to uh, Israel and what's going on on college campuses and uh, with pro-Hamas organizations targeting Jewish students and faculty. But briefly on the the uh, continuing resolution that was signed that uh, ultimately and approved that was ultimately you know led to the uh, Ouster of Speaker McCarthy. It expires on what? November seventeenth. So we're 17th, yeah. eighteen, nineteen days. Do you know? And I don't know if you have spoken to the new speaker or what the plans are. Are we going to get twelve separate appropriations bills, which is what the goal was when Speaker, or uh, yeah. excuse me, when uh, uh, Mr. Gates did this? W- what do you think is going to happen between now and the seventeenth? And will we have uh, uh, the the budget agreement made? I think there'll be a continuation, uh, some uh, additional stopgap spending measure. Now, I, I truthfully, we talked about this before, Bob. I hope it's long-term. I know Speaker uh, Johnson has indicated he wants something into next year. He, he's mentioned two dates, January 15th or April 15th. Uh, I would prefer the longer date because I, I just think you want to kick it as long in the next year as possible 
because if you get it in the next year, there's an actual 1% cut that kicks in if we don't do our job. And I think that that incentivizes the Congress to do what they're supposed to do, deal with each of these bills like we're supposed to, single-subject bill, focused on this area of the federal government, the funding levels for there. Because when you do that, you get much better scrutiny of what's actually in that legislation versus this one big giant mess of a bill called the omnibus. Um, so I, I, that's what I prefer, and I hope we go for the longer-term stopgap spending measure that gives us, I think, a much better chance to focus individually on these pieces of legislation, and we get better policy in there. And frankly, I think we get fewer earmarks in there uh, if we do it that way. So that's what I'm hoping we'll do. And I know, I know, Speaker Johnson is looking at that. Uh, let's hope that's uh, the direction that we can uh, we can end up going. I I can appreciate and understand the reasoning behind everything you just said. However, there are going to be those who say, "What? Another CR? A longer CR? I mean, this was again. This is what we walked right up to the moment of uh, government shutdown, and then did another CR, and, and that's what got everybody mad. That's why we had the chaos that we did. So you're going to have to try to sell a longer CR to people, and I guess you'll have to do what you just did with me. And uh, the question is, is will people be receptive to that? Well, that, this is this is actually what I ran on when I was when I was running for speaker, and I and I, I felt like the vast majority of the conference liked it because they they understood the incentive of having that 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 threat there of a one percent cut. Um, that that tends to focus uh, members in on, on on doing their job. Now there were some in the I, I think the appropriators who didn't like that, and that's I think one of the reasons that we didn't necessarily get the votes. But um, I do think it makes sense. Uh, and this is something that was built into the debt ceiling agreement several months ago. It's, it's why a handful of us conservatives went along with that debt ceiling because we said this is this is something that can actually change behavior in Washington and get us back to doing things the way we're supposed to, which we haven't, which hasn't happened in like 15 years. Um, so we'll see uh, as as we go forward. Uh, one last one on money. Speaker Johnson said he will plan, uh, pass. He believes that you'll be able to pass a standalone Israel aid bill in the House this week. Yes. Is, can you speak to that? And do you think it'll go through the Senate, or are they going to try to tie Ukraine to it? We, we met with some senators last week. I, I think there's a good chance. Um, there was a handful of us conservative guys that met with some conservative senators. They, they want the same thing. They want they want the standalone Israel package. Um, I think it's fourteen some odd billion dollars, which will help our our dearest and closest ally, the state of Israel. So we want to get that done as, as soon as possible. I think I think uh, Speaker Johnson is exactly right. Let's let's do that separate. Uh, let's let's figure out if there's ways we can pay for that additional funding. I think that that makes sense too. But let's get aid to Israel as quickly as possible, and not 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 muck it up with uh, with uh, any other any other uh, you know funding for anywhere else. Let's just focus on helping Israel right now because they're the ones who need it. Uh, briefly on Israel, um, uh, I, I continue to hear, you know, they say that their support is supposed to be, uh, you know, for Israel, talking about Joe Biden and, and the Democrats, that their support is unequivocal, but they continue to equivocate, and they continue, I think, to be more influenced by the screamers on the squad, some of your colleagues there screaming for ceasefire now, ceasefire now, it's a Gazan genocide by the Israelis and so forth. I got I got news stories in front of me from the New York Times that as the Gazans are starving and scrounging for food and water, Hamas has a rich trove of those things. It's not the Israelis that would be committing any type of acts against the Gazan people, the civilians there. It's literally all in Hamas's camp. And, you know, it's it's their decision on what happens here, and I'm not hearing that messaging coming from the Biden administration. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and it's it's it, it it's uh, you know it was the decision Hamas launched this evil attack on on Israel. Um, Hamas is the, the the entity that's been elected to the to run the, the quote government there, uh, a terrorist organization in Gaza for goodness sake. So uh, 
Uh, I remember I spoke with uh, former Ambassador uh, David Friedman uh, a few weeks ago, when, right when this, this, this terrible stuff had just started. And he indicated, he says, you know, as this goes along, he says, we're going to need the time, the space, and the resources to, to do this right, to go kill these evil terrorists. And the time factor being the most important, because what always happens is once this, Israel gets attacked, Israel responds, and then the international community, UN, and all these uh, folks say, oh, oh, it's time to scale back, it's time for ceasefire. And Israel's got like, no, we have to complete the job. we got to stop these people so they can't do it to us again. Um, and that's what we got to stay focused on. Give them the time and the resources to, to complete this mission and to win and win decisively and go kill these, these terrorists. Yeah, and, and it's just so important. There's a video right now of the leader of Hamas, Ismail Hanaya, who, uh, who is literally calling for the blood sacrifice of the Gazan civilians. He said, and I quote, we need the blood of women, children, and the elderly of Gaza so as to awaken our revolutionary spirit. In other words, we need them to die at the hands of Israelis as collateral damage because we can then stack up their bodies and say, look at what they did to us, and that will justify everything that they do in trying to wipe Israel off the map. So that's the, this is, this is, killing these evil terrorists is not only good for Israel and the rest of the world, it's good for the people in Gaza, the, the people who weren't, who aren't part of the terrorist activity, it's good for them, and that's what we need to remember, and that's why Israel needs to be given the time and the space and the resources to get this done right. Last thing, sir, can we do anything about these pro-Hamas students here on visas, foreign nationals here on the grace, grace of uh, graciousness of the uh, the American people? They're here studying and they're chanting in support of terrorists. That makes them terrorist sympathizers. They're here on visas. Can we do something to get them report uh, deported? Well, we're looking at legislation. In fact, I got a, I got uh, some legislation. A colleague sent it to me yesterday that we're looking at, and we got the staff looking at that. We think can be helpful in this area. And it, when you're, particularly when you're talking about people who aren't citizens of the United States, there's no, they have no First Amendment right to say something that 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 disgusting and, and, and thick. Uh, so if they're not citizens, they're, they're, I think we can. And this is something that uh, we're, we're we're looking at possible legislation that we could uh, we could address and, and get passed. Congressman Jim Jordan, thank you so much. Uh, best of you luck bet. to you this week. You got a lot of important work thank to do. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you, That's Jim Jordan on AM 1420, The Answer. He is always very gracious with his time. He always allows us uh, to get all of the questions in that we have. I hope some of those were of, uh, of value to you and of importance to you, because I know people ask me all the time, what about this, what about that? Ask Jordan this, ask Jordan that. I think we covered the gamut today that we could in roughly 20 minutes of conversation. So um, if you missed any of that, if you turned it on late, uh, we'll have that for you a little bit later on today. I'll put it on my Rumble page as well. Follow me on Rumble at Always Right Radio. I'll tweet it from France Rance as well. So, uh, But it'll be available for you as early as... Um, the end of the show or shortly after the end of the show at noon at whkradio.com all right next half hour is an open one so we'll take your phone calls 216-901-0945-888-281-1110 you and i have a rendezvous with destiny we'll preserve for our children this the last best hope of man on earth or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness darkness This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, now, seven minutes after 10 o'clock, Always Right Radio, hour number two is underway. Good Monday morning to you. Uh, it's the 30th morning of the 10th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Enormous, enormous 
uh, interview with Jim Jordan. I thought we covered a lot of very, very important ground there from everything from the speaker to what they're doing with Hunter Biden, the fact that they may indeed indict, or not indict, but to subpoena Hunter Biden. They're going to be talking with the special prosecutor who was supposed to indict him and actually prosecute him, but who gave him a sweetheart deal, David Weiss, next week. We talked about... Um, uh, Israel about funding, about the budget, about the CR that they are going to be pushing forward, and so forth. I mean, a little bit of everything was very important. So hopefully you enjoyed that conversation. Now, we want to get to what your conversation is about. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. I want to play this real quick before I go to these calls, though, because um, I'm fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by the uh, the breadth of the stupidity and the ignorance of one Kamala Harris. She was on apparently CBS and 60 Minutes last night, I guess. I, I Jack Windsor actually posted something about that, that Kamala Harris is on 60 Minutes. Are you going to watch? And I said, you know what, dude? This is the bullet you should take for the rest of us. You watch and tell us what what happened. So I, of course, I'm not going to watch. You can barely stand, you know, watching her do a you know a 10 second word salad in which it's you know spontaneously interrupted by giggles. She's just so breathtakingly stupid. It's just really, really a remarkable thing to behold. But I don't like to watch it because it's cringeworthy. But I do have a daily caller in front of me, a daily caller story about it. Kamala Harris was asked point blank why the Biden administration is so unpopular. Why do you guys suck so bad <laughs> is essentially what it was. So it's only 43 seconds. I'll see if we can all survive 43 seconds of canned Kamala here. Let's, uh, let's give it a go. A recent CBS poll found that at the beginning of President Biden's term, 70% of young people, people under 30, said he was doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Now it's less than 50%. Why is that? What's going on? If you poll how young people feel about the climate and the warming of our planet, it polls as one of their top concerns. When we talk about what we are doing with student loan debt, polls very high. Now, the challenge that we have as an administration is we've got to let people know who brung it to them. <laughs> That's our challenge. But it is not that the work we are doing is not very, very popular with a lot of people. <laughs> what did that idiot just say? What did she... I didn't hear it before. I kid you not. This is my first time hearing it, too. I said before she... I played it, because I just found this during the break... I, I said before I played it, she's so breathtakingly stupid, and then she just, like, hold my butt light and, and watch me sound dumber. How can any, what the hell does climate change have to do with the question as to why nobody likes you and you're sorry? Look, Joe Biden is mentally incompetent in large part because of his advanced age, and his cognitive decline is very, very, uh, very, very clear. Kamala Harris has no such excuses. She's not an 80-year-old octogenarian. She's just stupid from birth, I think, and I don't think anything ever changed. She just is really one of the most extraordinarily, I don't know, um, miracles of, of modern biology that a human being can be this stupid in this many public forums this many times. Every time she, 
looks like people under 30 used to like you guys, over 70%. Now it's under 50%. Why? Well, climate change is really important to them, she said. And, and student loans are really important to them, too, getting rid of their student debt. In other words, many of them like us because we tried anyway to bring it to them. We tried to erase a bunch of their debt. In other words, we tried to buy them off to make us like them. He said, the people that used to like you don't. Why? And she proceeded to tell us about things that they haven't been able to do. There is no change on the climate change issue. There, there's been no movement because the Supreme Court told them they cannot forgive student loan debt. And she's proceeding to tell us why they like her anyway. I mean, honestly, I'm just blown away by the 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 expansiveness of her idiocy and and you want to know recent, why you want to know why Joe Biden at age 81 is still and they're still hold on we're still screaming for uh you know for four more years of this idiot it's because this would be next this would be next the United States of America would not survive four years of a bumbling, babbling, incoherently giggling, word salad tossing moron like Kamala Harris. Could not survive it, would not survive it. I'm talking literal national survival. The rest of the world and our enemies would take one look and listen to our new quote-unquote commander-in-chief, and it would be on. We'd be done. How could anybody... I wouldn't buy a pair of shoes from this woman. I couldn't trust a word that she said. I wouldn't be able to understand a word that she said. One more time... Just just for the sheer entertainment value of it, one more time. A recent CBS poll found that at the beginning of President Biden's term, 70% of young people, people under 30, said he was doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Now, it's- By the way, just in case you want to know why that was, who are people under 30? They're the most recent college graduates. The ones who have gone through the indoctrination centers at their at their peak of productivity. These are the people that have been brainwashed into actually thinking that communism, Marxism, socialism are good. That transing of boys to girls and girls to boys is good. This is this is the most recent generation of college indoctrinated uh you know walking zombies that actually liked the Biden administration as you heard for 70 to the tune of 70%. It's less than 50%. Why is that? What's going on? If you poll how young people feel about the climate and the warming of our planet, it polls as one of their top concerns. What does that mean? What did she just say that had anything to do with why you guys are polling and your poll numbers are in the tank? What did she just say? Uh, If you listen to them, they tell you that climate is really important. And... When we talk about what we are doing with student loan debt, polls very high. What are you doing with student loan debt? Nothing. The Supreme Court said you can't do it. So it polls very high, yeah. In other words, we found out through Biden administration polling that people don't like to have to pay off their debts. We found out that they really like the idea that somebody tells them you don't have to pay the money you borrowed back.
That's super. That's some really high-level surveying that you've done there, Kamala, but it doesn't answer the question. Why does everybody hate you guys? Uh, The challenge that we have as an administration is we've got to let people know who brung it to them. First of all, you sound like a moron when you use words like brung, number one. Number two, why are you laughing? It's not funny. Number three, you didn't brung them anything. You didn't brung them a damn thing. (laughs) That's our challenge. (laughs) But it is not that the work we are doing is not very, very popular with a lot of people. The work you're doing is not very, very popular with a lot of people. That is daggone right. I just, I am mesmerized that the Democrat Party has this as one of their top two national representatives. Unbelievable. Vince is calling us from Westlake on AM 1420, The Answer. Vince, thanks for your patience. Sorry about putting you through that. No, no. <laughs> Before I get to my point, I can't help but laugh. But you're right. It's just I, I wonder about the, the intelligence of the electorate of the United States that would actually vote to put both of these morons in office. It, 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 it definitely bodes well for having some type of competency test before we allow people to vote because it's hard to believe people put that in there. Well, you know what, Vince, if I may, just before you go on to your main point, um, you know, I'm still going to continue to believe that without drop boxes and mail-in voting and COVID protocols stopping an actual election from taking place, there's no way in hell they ever, ever get that ticket into the the White House. Not a million, not a million years other than what we're doing. Again, every time she opens her mouth and he opens his mouth, they prove your point. Yeah, they, exactly. They, they You're exactly right. Yeah, brother. they make it very easy. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what, one of the things that, I, that I, I've thought about and talked about with people, in that, and you made a, a big mention of it earlier in the show when you started out this morning, and me personally, I, I think it would be really worth expounding on a little bit when, when you have the time, is this this uh, imagination that there is a, a state of Palestine, that there's a country of Palestine, that there's, you know, we we took their home, or not we, but the Jews took their home and are occupying their land. And you just hit it right on the head, which so many people don't understand, and that, they, you know, there is no state of Palestine or, or a, a country. There never was. We didn't take, they didn't take, the Jews didn't take anything. They're occupying their historical land that, as you said, has been there since, you know, what, 1500 BC or right? Yeah, around 1200 BC. We're around 1200 BC is when it's, you know, kind of recorded that, that way, yeah. That, that, that would be, I, that. that's just something that I would really love to see just the American people in general get a better grip on because it's obvious when you look at these idiots running through what are supposed to be called places of higher learning in college that are doing all this protesting, first of all, it, it, it's appalling and you're wondering whether, whether it's a legitimate state or not. You wonder how anybody, anybody with any kind of a soul or conscious could condone the atrocities and the, the absolute horror that went on on uh, October 7th. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's beyond belief in that. But then when they, you know, try to further validated by saying well you know you you took our country no no nobody took your country so that's that's what i wanted to say and i i really appreciate you bringing that up earlier and would love to hear well, more about this well you know what i think we're going to do that i'm going to actually bring some experts on vince and thanks for the call my friend um i'm going to bring some experts on historians who will talk about 
um, the historical Middle East, uh, going back again to essentially the birth of Israel and its continued occupation by Israeli Jews since that time. Um, the fact that they were conquered uh, for a period of time by other uh, massive warring empires, which they were by the Babylonians and others, um, yes, some of their land was taken from them, but it was never taken from them and then decreed to be Palestine. There has never, I want to make this very, very clear, there has never been a Palestine. Not just that there isn't one now, it's been replaced by Israel on the map. That's why Sharia Tlaib, the uh, uh, quote-unquote Palestinian-American member of Congress, has the map in our office that has a sticky note with a the word Palestine and an arrow on it, and it's stuck in the Middle East there with an arrow pointed to where Israel is, suggesting that this is actually Palestine. But the problem is, it's not just not Palestine on modern maps. It's not Palestine on any world map, modern or ancient. None. There has never been a place called Palestine. And the word Palestinian is actually a bit of a play on the word Philistines. It is, there is just, it, the, the entire notion of, of the state of Israel replacing and stealing the land from people who lived on what they called Palestine and were called Palestinians is a, is, is a, complete, it's a complete lie. It's misinformation, as they like to say. And anybody who knows anything about history, and again, I'll get a historian, a historian on who can do the do it much better justice than I can. There's an article I can point you to from uh, from 2019. I found this just the, the other day because I was doing a little hunt. I actually heard Dr. Gorka on his show talking about you know the the the, the lack of a Palestinian state and the fact that there has never been Palestine, and he had a, he gave a really great explanation of it. So I just looked it up to learn a little bit more there, too. And uh, there's an article in The Federalist from 2019, so it's about four years old. And it says, sorry you're offended, but Palestine does not exist. And it goes on to talk about some of the things that I just talked about. It doesn't go as much into the history of it. There's another article, though, that does. And I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll Not only will I get... Um, some of these experts on to talk about it. I'll actually, or uh, yeah, I'll actually post these particular articles on my social, on Twitter and on uh, Truth Social and Facebook, um, every place that I can. And if you're not following me there, you should. Uh, Rumble is always right. Radio Truth Social is always right. Um, what else? Instagram is always right. Radio. Uh, Facebook is always right. Radio, and then Twitter is France Rants. So just to kind of throw that up there. But there's another article. That was written. This one ran in PJ Media, and this one is more current because of obviously what's going on uh, in uh, you know in Israel right now, in the Middle East right now. But there's an article in PJ Media that was written by a historian named Rabbi Michael Barclay. And again, some will say, "Oh, well, he's Jewish. Obviously, he's going to have a you know a biased view of this." But I've read it very carefully. It's a it's a series of articles. This is part one of it that ran on October 14th on PJ Media. And the rabbi gives you not his version of history, but actual history. Uh, for 3,000 years, there has been no such thing as a Palestinian or a country of Palestine, he writes. How did this Palestinian issue even start in modern times? In 1948, you know most of this, because we've been covering it in depth. 
But in 1948, UN Resolution 181 granted statehood to two states, a Jewish one called Israel and an Arab one called Palestine. This is the first time there was a nation or people with the name of Palestine, even though they were all, in fact, actually Jordanians. Immediately, five Arab nations attacked Israel, which continued to be attacked repeatedly for the next 15 years, but successfully defended her nationhood. But Palestine never began. It was never, it was never accepted. The idea of this two-state solution was put out there, and, and the, the Arab Muslims in the region from Jordan never accepted it. That's why there has never been a Palestine, even though they tried to give them one. Because they would not live peacefully in a Palestine, uh, you know, in a, in, in a newly created Palestine. They would not live if they had to live next to the Jews. They did not believe Jews should exist. It's in their, it's in their, it's in their charter in Hamas, for example, to wipe Jews off of the map, including the state of, of Jewish Israel. So they had an opportunity to have a Palestine created. They would not do it. Historically, there has never been one. Again, I'll give you, just because Vince brought it up, and I find it fascinating, a brief primer on the the history here uh, from uh, from PJ. Over 4,000 years ago, there were small tribes living in Canaan, such as Moabites, uh, uh, Amalekites, and, and more. There was no Palestine. There was no Palestinian people. There was no Palestine land. Around 3,200 years ago, 1,200 B.C., the 12 tribes of Israel united under King Saul into the first kingdom in the region, which is a Jewish theocracy called Israel. They split into the kingdoms of Judah and Israel, both still Jewish, which were conquered by the Babylonian, uh, Babylonian Empire a little over 2,500 years ago. This then became the Persian Empire, which was defeated by Alexander the Great, and Israel was controlled by the Greeks. This isn't much longer. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't, don't let your eyes glaze over because you feel like you're back in high school history class again. This is important, okay? The Greeks were defeated by the Hasmoneans, and Israel once again became a Jewish state about 2,200 years ago. The Hasmoneans were beaten by the Romans, and there followed a series of kingdoms that controlled Israel. Byzantine, Sassanid, Umayyad, Frankish, Christian, and eventually the Memluk dynasty, which controlled the region in the 13th to the 16th centuries. This is the first time there is a government, governmental Muslim presence in Israel. But again, it was not related to Palestine as a people or a nation. The Mamluks ultimately were absorbed into the Ottoman Empire, which controlled the region until it was defeated by the British in the 20th century. Bottom line, nowhere in this 3,000-year history does the word Palestine exist. Nowhere in this 3,000-year history do Palestinians exist or even get discussed. The British created a mandate called Palestine on July 24, 1922, which was the first mention of the word in, in thousands of years. But there was no designated Palestinian territory. There was no designated Palestinian state, no land that was belonging to Palestine or Palestinians. It just does not exist. So this idea that Israel is occupying Palestinian land, that Israel are colonizers, 
In the same way that British colonizers came here and, and, and occupied the land of the Native Americans. This is how they like to, they like to view every, everything through the same lens. They use words that are trigger words like colonizers and occupiers, right? And that makes, of course, them evil. So the Israelis are the occupiers on Palestinian land. But the truth is, there is not now, nor has there ever been, in the history of history, a land called Palestine. People need to know that reality. Because the pro-Palestinian marchers and demonstrators and protesters and, and terrorist sympathizers working and running rampant all through the United States right now have no earthly idea about this very important fact that I just laid out for you. All right. I'm sorry. I know I Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. All right, ten thirty-six. Good morning to you. Thanks for uh, being with us on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Uh, I like that little intro there. That little promo giving you reason. Here's what we're going to give you reasons to do right now. Reasons why you need to vote no on issue one today. Uh, literally today. My wife and I are going to do it today. We're going to go uh, late this afternoon. We're going to go to our board of elections and we're going to cast our votes because uh, I like to practice what I preach. I've been telling you not to wait till election day. What can go wrong on election day? What can go wrong on next Tuesday? Car won't start. Got called into work. Told you had to stay work late. You were going to go during your lunch break. Couldn't make it. Got there. The line was too long. Oh, we're out of paper. It's going to be just a little while long, uh, longer. Please just be patient. Can't. Got to get back on the job. Ink isn't working. Uh, we're gonna have to re- we're gonna have to move you from one polling location. I mean, there are so many things that can happen to you when you plan to vote on election day. I know it's antithetical to almost everything that conservatives like me and you probably believe in because we've always liked just one day to vote, count them up, and let us know by nine o'clock who won. And that's kind of how it, it it always had been. But in the last uh, you know twenty twenty five years or so, it's all about early voting and it's all about voting by mail and more absentee access and Dropbox this and all kinds of other thing that that kind of make it. Uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's it's not what we like. We just we like traditional uh, election days. But uh, what we've done in protesting it over the course of the last several elections, protesting the early voting idea, uh, it's costing us a big in a big way. We're trying to make up a deficit on election day that is just too big to make up. So let's not get into that deficit position. Let's cast our votes now. Let's get them banked. Let's make sure the, the car doesn't start today. That's okay. You'll go tomorrow. If the problem at work happens today and you can't go vote, you can go tomorrow. Plan on voting early so we don't have to put all of our eggs in the November 7th basket. So, having said all of that, let's talk about why we need to make sure that we defeat Issues 1 and 2. But more specifically, we're going to talk about Issue 1 now. And joining us from uh, Catholic Vote, the political director of Catholic Vote, online at catholicvote.org, Logan Church. Logan, good morning. Hi, good morning. It's so good to talk to you. Thank you so very much. Um, let's talk a little bit about the organization. We've done it before, but for those who have not heard of Catholic Vote, let's talk about who you are, what you're doing, and uh, why Ohio is so crucially important in this uh, in this upcoming um, uh, constitutional amendment vote. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks for having me back on the show. Um, so I enjoyed our chat last time, so I'm looking forward to it again. 
Um, so Catholic Vote is the largest political Catholic advocacy organization. And so we get involved in races and amendments all across the nation. Uh, but we've been involved in Ohio since the kickoff of the August campaign. Um, and so we, we actually, I just got the report today that we just hit the mark of 100,000 postcards sent out from Ohio Catholics to fellow Ohio Catholics on th- these issues and on how important it is to get out to vote um, and to vote no this November. So that's exciting news for us at Catholic Vote just because we've been on the ground really putting in the work, trying to talk to our fellow Catholics about what this issue really means and why it's so important for Catholics to get out to vote. So Catholic Vote um, is you know, we're, we're sitting on the edge of our seats as we move into the last week. We've really been putting a lot of effort on the phone and on texting over the last week. Um, and so we are, you know, we're with you as far as early voting is concerned. I'm going to be going to vote today myself. Um, it's so important that we get as many votes in the bank as possible before we even step into Election Day. Yeah, that is uh, that is exactly right. It's crucial, and 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 I want to focus. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the issue of issue one, the issues contained in the very vague and intentionally uh, ambiguous language, which can allow them to go into so many different directions than just quote unquote reproductive health care in the form of abortion. But um, I'm going to talk about the importance of Ohio, as I mentioned. I've been talking about this for weeks. You know, how we're not California, we're not New York, we're not one of the elite pro-choice blue states on either one of our coasts. We're in the heartland. We're, Ohio calls itself the heart of it all. We're a red state. We have, uh, we have gone for the Republican president by big numbers in each of the last two elections. We just had statewide elections swept all nine of them by conservative Republican candidates or at least Republicans. And, it's such a huge, huge feather in the cap of the pro-death movement, which is what I call the pro-choicers. If they can take a, a, a state like Ohio, Logan, in the middle of the heart, uh, heartland of America, a red state, and make it the most extreme abortion state uh, in the country, it just bodes so devastatingly for the rest of the country, I think. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm right there with you on that. I, at the end of the day... You know, something a lot of people don't want to talk about is Ohio. People, everyone thinks we have the heartbeat bill. We actually don't have the heartbeat bill because it's held up in the courts. We actually have abortions until five months in Ohio currently. So why are they pushing to take it from five months and push it to nine months? It's absolutely disgusting and absurd. Yeah, it, it really is, especially, you know, when you consider the, the, the aspect of pain capability. Now, that is not to say that a a baby isn't a baby prior to pain capability, which is usually at around 15 weeks, I believe, uh, when the central nervous system is formed. And, of course, we've all seen or heard of the, uh, you know, the uh, sonograms in which the the horrific procedure that's being performed causes the baby inside to recoil and pull away because it is it is being it is being harmed in such a terrible way it's not to say that prior to that it's still not a baby it is but but we're talking about something that is just beyond uh, a woman's choice about what to do with quote unquote her body and with her physician we're talking about an excruciatingly painful, barbaric, inhumane, cruel procedure that's done to a baby that can feel everything that is being done to it. That's what this extreme abortion amendment would allow, uh, Logan. And and I don't know how that can't shock the conscience of anybody, whether you're Catholic and supportive of Catholic vote like you are or not. How, do, that, how does that not just shock the conscience of any, any, any moral or ethical human being? Yeah, 
Right. You know, something I've, I've been so sad and devastated to discover, especially with my time at Catholic Vote, as I talk to people, there are people who are supporters of the pro-death movement who, quite frankly, don't care. It doesn't bother them. They don't wince at the idea of that. And that's what's so scary because that's what we're up against. We're up against a group of individuals who, who know that it's a baby, who knows that, and know that it feels pain, and they don't care because that baby to them is just an inconvenience. And so this is a much larger issue than just a legislative issue or an issue with changing the state's constitution. I mean, we need to change the hearts and the minds of the American people who have been so desensitized over the past several decades about what abortion is and why it's a problem. That's a really important word you just used, desensitized, because I think um, I think that's the goal, um, to the desensitization of the seriousness and the horrors of abortion, because, you know, for example, the youngest generation in our, in our country, you know, the, the, what they're called Gen Z, they're being educated very differently than any of the rest of us ever were. Um, in particular, they're being told that, you know, if, you, if you're a little boy and you really want to be a little girl, we can make that happen. If you're a little girl, you don't really have to stay one. We can make that happen. We can remove things. We can chemically castrate. We can do all kinds of things to make you be whatever it is you want to be. And when you desensitize kids to the realities of what the human body is, you can certainly desensitize them to the elimination of a human body and the, you know, the dissection and dismemberment of a human body in, in, you know, in the form of these sort of, uh, barbaric, uh, abortion procedures. They're trying to make these kids completely emotionally cut off from what is actually, re- you know, real, uh, when it comes to the human body. And I feel like, that is a battle that we're going to have to wage on a lot of different fronts, Logan, beyond November 7th. Yes, absolutely. And I think this is something that the left has done on a lot of different fronts, and I know that we could name off a whole list of them, but they slowly desensitize the American people to a topic, um, you know, take gay marriage as an example. You know, slowly it was put in our, our TV shows and our movies, it became a topic of conversation at the dinner table. It got put into the school system, and then before you knew it, it was overturned, or it was, you know, they, they legalized gay marriage. And so, you know, that's a good example of what they did with abortion as well. It was a slow process, but they just slowly integrated it into the daily lives of the American people, into their TV shows, into their movies, into their music, until it becomes normal. And it's so scary because is that what's going to happen with the trans movement next? Are we going to normalize the trans movement? Are we going to normalize sex change surgeries for children? Are my grandchildren going to think, well, oh, Grandma, you know, you're just so outdated. This is normal now. You know, is that going to be our next step for our next generation? That's what I'm scared about. I, I agree. That is exactly correct, by the way. They're, they're, they're not going to have any, any earthly idea. Um, you know, what, what, what the reality is they're going to ignore, you know, they're already doing that. They're being taught to ignore the values of the, the older generations. Um, and, and, and everything you just described is, is, a, is a legitimate concern. So Logan, tell me what Catholic vote is doing. Tell me what we can do to support Catholic vote in trying to uh, make sure we defeat this horrible, horrible amendment on, uh, uh, on, on the seventh. So the biggest thing you can do to help support Catholic vote is make sure you guys go get out and vote early and take your friends. Um, you know, the last thing you want to happen, like you said earlier, is you get to the end of the day on next Tuesday and you're like, oh, shoot, I didn't go vote. And you do not want to be one of the people that, that didn't stand up for this because you're going to regret it. 
Um, Catholic Vote, like I said, has sent out over 100,000 postcards to Ohioans. Uh, we've been sending out text messages, phone calls, talking at parishes. And now we're in the final stretch. I mean, a lot of this is just making sure that you and your family get out the vote. If you would like to know more about Catholic Vote, though, check us out at catholicvote.org. Um, and if you want to know about what we in Ohio and what we're doing in Ohio, it's catholicvote.org slash Ohio. There's a lot of great information there, by the way, too. And, and I want to add this to going out to vote in terms of what people can do. Um, and that is share this information with other people. There's a, there's a page of links, what look like social media links, memes, um, you know, statements of fact about what is going on and about how important it is to defeat amendments like this. There's, uh, there's just a lot of information there that people can post on their own social media pages, uh, in addition to links, of course, to the homepage. Uh, there's even videos that people can share there, uh, that mm-hmm. might encourage people and open up the eyes of a lot of people who just don't know the seriousness uh of this and uh and where it leads if this thing passes in ohio you know what it means for ohioans and for ohio babies and 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 what it means to other states as well but the other directions that this complete disregard for life that is being uh kind of implanted or indoctrinated into the minds of the youngest generation what what kind of what, what the ramifications really might be yeah and don't forget you know we have one last sunday before we go into election day um, whether you're Catholic or not, I urge you, uh, if you're a Christian, to talk to your pastor, talk to your priest, and say, hey, you have one last chance to talk to your congregation and to lead them in the right way here. Um, you know, there's no question about where the Christian church or the Catholic church stands on the sanctity of life, and we have one last Sunday to make a difference. So I would urge you to talk to your, to your uh, pastors and priests before this next Sunday. That's a great point. That's a great point. Logan Church, uh, I really appreciate you coming back on again. I know you guys are doing a lot of very, very hard work to open a lot of eyes and make sure that we get as many people out there voting as possible. Thank you for what you're doing at Catholic Vote, and thank you for coming on with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Have a good one. God bless. Logan Church, political director of Catholic Vote. I mean it. I'm looking at the page right now. I always try to do that when I'm doing interviews. And uh, at the bottom, toward the bottom of the page, um, you're going to see some very large um, like I said, memes or social media shares that you can do, that you can, you know, that you can uh, uh, post on your own, so that you can kind of really uh, open the eyes of people. Uh, they're just the, the the liars are out there, and they are spreading their message, and we have to do everything we can to counter them. It's more than just get out to vote early. It's about get out to vote and bring somebody with you particularly somebody who's like-minded that cares about life, uh, and it's about influencing other people in your social circles, whether they be social media or family and friends, whatever your social circles may be. Influence them as well, because it's going to take every one of us. The one thing we can do is outvote them. We can't outspend them. As I've said numerous times, and I apologize for the redundancy, but you know they've got a product to sell that gives them a bottomless supply of money they're selling the product of abortion every day hundreds of dollars per procedure comes into their pockets they can turn around and spend those dollars on tens of millions of dollars of advertising in ohio and in other places places around the country they can spend this money because they're going to get a return on their investment. When they make it legal to abort all the way through the ninth month of pregnancy, they will make so much more money than ever before. So they can throw this money in. It's considered an investment. It's an investment in their business, in the sale of their product. Those on the know 
side, those on the side of life, we have no product to sell. We're just donating out of the goodness of our hearts. Those who are giving money to buy ads to tell the truth about what these liars are pushing on us with issue one, um, we don't have a product to sell. We're not going to get the money on the back end. Maybe we donate money to a cause like this. We get a campaign, I mean a campaign, a, uh, a tax write-off on some of those donations. Fine. But you understand the point. We can't match them dollar for dollar. What we have to do is match them and beat them vote for vote. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1055. Uh, let's get a call or two in here before the top of the hour. Charlie is in uh, Brown Hill. Hey, Charlie, you're on the air. Fire away. Hey, thanks, Bob, for taking the call. Mm-hmm. Um, couple, couple of things. Yeah, definitely vote at your board of elections. You know, the, when you go vote at a school or something, those are temporary workers. They don't know what they're doing that day as well. You go to a board of elections, those are full-time people. They know how to get your vote in. So if you really want to get your vote in, go vote no today, tomorrow. Do it soon. That's all I wanted to say. But uh, And Logan, what a, what a beautiful person. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen her. She's strikingly beautiful, and I'm so happy. She was on, on Max Miller's campaign, and now she got this job. I'm very happy she's doing this. But what I was calling about is... Uh, the stupidity. You know, you said Kamala Harris is stupid. Well, our our college students are just ridiculously ignorant. They they are they're asking for Israel to be eliminated. To be and this is Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. They're they're our base. They're our they're our defense against all of Islam. And they were saying we want to eliminate that. The analogy would be the American Indian telling all Americans to leave America. It's just ridiculous. That what they're what these students are doing uh, in the name of uh, Palestine. It's just, I think it's just, you know, they should go to high school history class. They every one of them has to go back. Um, well, well, you know, sadly, it's sadly, it's not just them. Uh, it, it, because you're right. Thank you, Charlie, for the call. You're right about you know the need to go back and study this again, or maybe learn it for the first time. But it's not just the the current students, the college students who are being so radical. It's it's adults. There are. 40 and 50 and 60 year old people who are screaming free Palestine from the river to the sea. They agree because they're anti-Semitic. They hate the Jews. That is not unique to the younger generation and the current. As a matter of fact, here's proof. You know who is largely organizing and orchestrating these demonstrations on college campuses that the kids are all chanting at? Faculty members. <laughs> the professionals, the anti-Semitic, anti-Zionist, anti-Israeli uh, uh, college professors are out there supporting and encouraging this for crying out loud. So that lets you know that it's not just the young kids who need to go back to school and learn history. The reality is there is no Palestine. There never has been a Palestine. There are no Palestinian people. Their invention is just that. It's an invention. Uh, and it's a, more, it's a relatively recent invention, quite frankly. Joe is in uh, Westlake next. Hi, Joe. Go ahead. Uh, good morning, Bob. Good morning, Joe. I'd like to read. I'd like to make a couple points and ask a question. Number one, uh, I'd like to read some headlines from the Haaretz newspaper of Israel. I, I'm doing this to show that essentially you're providing a narrower range of viewpoints than a newspaper in Israel. So here is a couple headlines. In its most difficult hour, Israel is led by a puppet. Israel soldier arrested on suspicion of fatally shooting Palestinians. 
Israeli Intel Ministry suggests relocating Gazans to Sinai after Hamas war. Israel we, is like we, any Israel. Hold on, Joe. Israel is like any other state. There are political divisions and battles there. And yes, um, uh, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu is not liked by every Israeli. These are more, though, uh, sadly, uh, the Israelis who are secular. Uh, these are individuals who are kind of self-hating, and they don't want uh, a hardliner who wants to defend Israel and Israel's uh, uh, land at all costs. So that's the reality of it. There are always going to be negative headlines. There's going to be dis, uh, um, uh, uh, differentiating points of view in every country that is free, and that's the difference. Israel is a democracy. The last caller pointed it out, and you're not going to get everybody there who writes for every newspaper there to be any more honest about things than somebody in the Washington Post here. So what you're saying doesn't really change anything. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, hour number three is underway. It's seven minutes past 11 o'clock. Thanks for being with us. So I, I brought something up, uh, and by the way, it's the 30th morning of the 10th month in the year of our Lord 2023. I brought something up in the open of the show. Uh, this morning, the opening monologue segment that I said I wanted to play for you, you probably don't want to hear. This is a big part of the Israeli um, uh, response right now. The the left in America and anti-Zionists and anti-Semites around the world are clinging to a false narrative that says it's the Jews in Israel that are to blame for the violence. Now remember, the Jews are living in their normal, peaceful manner in Israel on October 6th, and they woke up on October 7th, and everything was still la-di-da, with the exception of the fact that they have to be on constant guard for incoming rocket and missile attacks from the savages and the animals in Gaza, known as Hamas, or north in Lebanon, known as Hezbollah. They are constantly, constantly living on guard. Their lives are, are, are really, quite honestly, difficult to comprehend for the rest of us who live in freedom and safety. They have protocols in place where if a, a siren is, is, is sounded, you know, you hear a siren, and what do you do? If you're driving, you look for it, see if you can find it, see if you have to pull over or not. That's it. You hear a siren, maybe it's a tornado, in the right season, in the right part of the country, you might hear, you know, an alarm like that go off, and you're like, oh There, you hear a siren, you automatically head for the bunker. 
or whatever safe location you can get into because that means there's a rocket attack coming. That's how they live their lives in Israel. And those rocket attacks, like I said, come from the savage animals that live in Gaza and in, uh, and in Lebanon and uh, some in the West Bank. Um, those, are, those are the realities of the people in Israel. So on October 7th, of course, they were hit in the most barbaric way possible. And I mean barbaric. I wasn't going to share this, but I guess I will. Um, Martha McCallum is just a you know an anchor and a and a journalist on Fox, and she she does a fine job. You know I don't I don't despise her as much as many of us despise Fox Big Picture for what they did to Tucker and what they did on a, on election night and so forth. But not everybody is you know to blame for that, of course. Martha McCallum um, wrote and talked about something that was extraordinarily important because she was privy to something very, very few journalists were. Um, and that is the savagery of, when I talk about savages and animals you know, committing these barbaric attacks, I want to be more precise for you here. So I'm going to read a little bit of what Martha McCallum had to say about this. She was one of a select few journalists that were shown a 43-minute collection of the video footage from Hamas terrorists and from security cameras that were taken during the attack on October 7th. Some of the footage is so graphic, it has not been made public to the rest of the uh, you know, media world out there out of respect for the victims' families and the suffering that their loved ones endured. News reports indicate the footage shows murder, torture, and maiming, intentional maiming before death of innocent men, women, and children. And Martha McCallum posted to Twitter on Friday, quote, Today we were shown the Hamas body cam and other videos of the attacks of October 7th. There are no words to explain it. It is to witness the darkest evil that can exist. Hamas terrorists laugh and call home to boast about how many Jews they killed with their hands, she described, asking if their parents are proud. Humans bloodied, charred, and physically ripped apart. But, Martha McCallum said, it's the cries of the children that I will hear forever. I shared this with you because the world needs to know what happened, and so you can imagine it because I hope you never have to see it. I wasn't going to really share that because, you know, it wasn't my story to share. It was Martha McCallum's, but I guess she wants us to hear it and to to know that the barbarism and the savagery that we talk about committed by Hamas on that day is worse than perhaps you can even comprehend in your own mind. You have to see it with your own eyes, and she did, so she wanted to kind of share it the best she could. And um, I bring that up because... That has already been lost in the 23 days since October 7th. That savagery committed by Hamas terrorists has already been lost as everybody screams. When I say everybody, I'm talking about the radical anti-Zionists like Sharia Tlaib and the members of Congress who are screaming for a ceasefire. They don't want Israel to to kill and destroy Hamas to stop them from doing it again in three months, five months, six months, five years. Because whenever they do it again, we're going to look back to how we as a world responded uh, after October 7th. 
they're going to look back and say, we didn't support Israel going in and destroying all of Hamas so that this new one that just happened couldn't happen. We failed. We let them down. That's what's going to happen here. So this, this notion that, well, there are innocent civilians, Palestinians, they call them, in Gaza, who are being killed by what is they're calling an Israeli genocide, when it has absolutely nothing to do with Israel. It has everything to do with Hamas. And let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. This is the leader of Hamas. I want you to listen to this. The leader of Hamas, who is telling the people, it's in Arabic, but I'll read the subtitles over for you if I can. But this is the leader of Hamas that is telling his, quote-unquote, you know, Palestinian people in Gaza that they have to be willing to sacrifice their blood. Sacrifice their blood because it is important to the cause. Men, women, and children must die because it's important to the cause to reinvigorate the revolutionary spirit of the rest of the Palestinians and other Hamas supporters. In other words, to, to, to gin up more rage at Israel. So when collateral damage happens, and, and I'm, I apologize, I'm trying to play this and it simply will not fire. So I'm just going to just give you the, like I said, the, the paraphrased version of it. But the, the message from this individual is, we need you to bleed and die for the, for the purpose of ginning up more anger and hatred toward Israel so that we can indeed destroy them and wipe them out as, of course, we are, we are uh, destined to do. And yet it's the position of Sharia Tlaib and, and the radical pro-Palestinians on campuses all over the country and radical pro-Palestinian and pro-Hamas people around the world who want you to believe that if there are dead Gazan civilians, it's going to be because of Israel. They can make sure not one single Gazan civilian or Palestinian, as they like to call them, in Gaza dies. As a, as a victim of collateral damage. They can do it easily. You want to know how? Surrender. Release the hostages immediately, all 200 of them, and then surrender. Hamas terrorists who committed the barbaric atrocities surrender to IDF forces. Then nobody else who's a Gazan civilian will die. That's it. The ball is in the court of Hamas. Hamas is responsible for the deaths of all of those Israelis. Hamas will be responsible for the deaths of all of the Gazan civilians. It is up to them to decide. Release the hostages and surrender, or know that Israel is coming to get you. And when they get you, if you hide amongst a population of civilians and those those, uh, civilians are harmed, their blood will be on your hands just as the Israeli blood is. I hope that's crystal clear uh, it ought to be all right where are we going uh phil in university heights phil go right ahead you're on the air it's i'm hoping you'll you'll comment to this but we've talked about it before mm-hmm. the essence of all of this going on is coming from the same source and i just read a um article uh revealing that 15 million dollars has been spent by our favorite guy george soros to on the campuses to and um, in 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 the streets of New York to foment all of this uh, these protests and the, the anti-Semitism and the bringing all of this to the front to try and stimulate 
more chaos and to destroy um, you know the character of this country and I and I and I was talking to other people about this and someone told me who he studied the the writings of Adolf Hitler and one of the things that he said which I think is very telling here is that they must destroy the Jewish people because then that would create a uh, a lack of um, religiosity in the world. If you remove the people who heard the Ten Commandments, then the state of religion drops and the power of the socialists, and after all, the Nazis were national socialists, the power of the socialists would would be would rise up, and I I just I'm, I'm floored by this, and I I can't I see the connection between what's going on in Israel and what's going on in this country and the abortion movement and all these movements BLM and and um, uh, uh, the, the black uh, uh, oh the the movement that all these movements that, that stood up. As soon as Hamas did their work and mm-hmm. these leftist movements, all backed by people like Soros and um, and, and the like, yeah. and we're we're just we're just in trouble. We're it's just everywhere. Um, I'm I'm really I'm really frightened for the the future of this country and the world. Well, okay, let me respond to a little bit of that, and thank you for the call. I appreciate it, Phil. Um, people who don't understand. Uh, why we are getting involved with, with Israel and why we support them as strongly as we do and why this matters so much here to the homeland, including some people that I have great respect for. There are conservative commentators like Candace Owens who don't want one dollar going to Israel, not one dollar to support, not one uh, piece of uh, ammunition or anything else to support the Israeli cause there. They're, they're playing isolationist games. They're suggesting that it's better for us to be completely non-interventionist. And, and by the way, I am a non-interventionist in some ways including right now, uh, I don't think we should be sending more, any more than the $113 billion we sent to uh, to Ukraine. And now, that that's not non-interventionism, because we did intervene, and I believe we should have at the beginning. There has to be a cap, and there has to be a defined end to the um, uh, to the uh, campaign for us to, to, to support it any further. There isn't. But in this case, there are some who are saying we shouldn't send any money to Israel, and they don't understand the impact of what happens in Israel on the United States. It is so much deeper than many people realize. They don't understand exactly why uh, what happens in Israel. And by the way, some of the things that happen, the more and more you know research that I do and the more work I do trying to find uh, firsthand accounts of what happened there, the more barbaric it actually gets. But how that impacts us here. And fortunately, there are some really good journalists writing some very important pieces, making the connections between Israeli policy and Israeli survival and the United States of America. What is it that it's going to take? What is it going to take, rather, for um, the American people to understand that we do have a vested interest in the outcome of Israel's um, battles and their survival, if you will? Um, they are the only functioning, functioning democracy in the Middle East. They are, because they have an allied relationship with us, um, essentially an extension of the United States. What is done in Israel, what anti-Semitism is practiced in Israel and around the world, quite frankly, directly impacts the United States. 
in ways, like I said, and I'll post some of these for you as well. I really try to study and read as much as I possibly can, but I can't get it all on the air in three hours, so I'm going to ask you to do the homework uh, by going to my web. I'll do the homework for you. You just got to read it by going to the uh, the, the different uh, social media sites that I have, uh, and I'll share all of this information with you. But there are some very specific things that happen in Israel that directly impact us here in the United States. They do uh, justify, it does rather, justify our expenditures of time and and sweat equity and yes money to support Israel it's very very different than other uh than other countries and other battles around the world so let's just let's just kind of phrase it that way but uh Phil thank you for the call we're going to do um Mark next in Fairview Mark thanks for waiting you're on the air go ahead thanks for taking the call sure. uh I want to respond to the Joe who called before the commercials and that mm-hmm. keep in mind uh uh Israel's a democracy, and they have freedom of speech, and they need for different newspapers and that, just like in this country. Exactly. But uh, what I'd like to point and out... They, and they have political differences. Them. They have political parties, because remember, Bibi Netanyahu was ousted, and then he came back again, because there is, you know, there's, there are different parties and different ideologies there. It's not like they're all unified group thinkers in Israel. You know, most functioning democracies, or in our case, a republic, a democratic republic, you know, the, they do have free speech, and they do have freedom of opinion, and not all of the votes are going to be identical the way they are in the than the uh, Muslim theocracies. So that's important to point out. Go ahead. And keep in mind, the rest of the Mideast, try to find another democracy, please. But uh, two books I wanted to point out that will sum up a lot of the things you're reading, the various articles and that. There was one, The Case for Israel, by uh, Frank Gravasi, but this uh, ends pretty much in the 60s. But the other one that I read before and picked it up again was by Alan Dershowitz, also The Case for Israel. And amazing book. He goes through the whole situation there from thousands of years back up to the present with a fine tooth comb. And it's, it's, it, the book is absolutely incredible. Uh, the facts that he brings out. And it, I got a laugh when they interview a lot of these students, uh, freshmen, uh, thumb suckers or whatever on TV. They don't have even a clue. Some of them can't even tell you about the Holocaust, you know. You're but, right. uh, you know, if you want to talk about Palestinians, the first people who uh, encompassed that area goes back thousands of years. They were the Jews. That's why these Palestinians, when they find treasures and bowls and things like that, they like to destroy them to show that the Jews were not there. And uh, there's so many other things uh, in this book. All the times they tried to give statehood uh, to the Palestinians, they rejected it. And uh, also during uh, World War II, Hassini, the Grand Mufti, of Jerusalem, he he was strongly Nazi, along with most of the other Arabs, and he created a, a lot of hatred, a lot of hatred at that time. And uh, in the twenties, exactly when the Jews, the Jews were always there in Jerusalem. Anyhow, a lot of them didn't leave when the Romans, you know, chased them out. Uh, but uh, even in the twenties, they were noted for the farms they were making. The, the the swamps that were drained, they had one of the largest exports of oranges to Europe. And that was back in the 20s. They were actually bringing, Palestinians were coming, these Arabs were coming to them to, to find work, to find work. And also after the 1948 decision giving them statehood, uh, just, or excuse me, in the late 30s, the English magistrate, because England was in control of the territory, he even commented, he said, these people are just wanderers. He's either Bedouin, Bedouins, gypsies, and vagabonds. You know, they traveled here, there, everywhere. And when they came up with Transjordan, 
uh, I was just reading the good majority of the people there were also just these Bedouins. So that that's just a touch of what you know you'll find in the books. It, it's an amazing book, and I think all the listeners should really read this book. It, it, it the guy goes through it with a fine tooth comb, and it's incredibly interesting, and it'll answer a ton of questions. Thank you, Bob. Well, I appreciate all of that. Thank you for the tip on that. Uh, that's good stuff. Um, you know, there's so much there to get into. I can't really respond to all of that, but I will say that the part he mentioned about the attempt by Arab Muslims in the Middle East to destroy archaeological finds uh, that prove the existence of the Jewish you know, state of Israel going back, like I said, 3,200 years is true. I didn't read the book he's talking about, but I've read enough to know that that's true. They try to destroy any evidence of Israel's original occupation of that land, ownership of that land, how they've had to fight off so many uh, different empires and different attackers through the years and so forth, uh, through the centuries, quite frankly. Uh, and it is all true. It is all true. But the history is there. Israel has been there from the beginning. There has never been a Palestine. And the reason, the other thing he pointed out from one of those books that he just referenced is also true. The Palestinians have been offered a state many, many times. They have rejected it every time. Why? Because to accept a Palestinian state next to an Israeli state is to therefore recognize the Israeli state. They won't do it. They won't accept a two-state solution, which is what every left-wing Democrat continues to say is the solution here. And they're just as stupid as they are and everything else that they espouse. There cannot be a two-state solution if one of the states is hell-bent on destroying the other one. Palestinians, as they like to call themselves, the Arab Muslims in the region, don't want Israel to exist. They're anti-Semitic, they're anti-Zionist, they're anti-Israeli state from the beginning. So that's why they have rejected the, the ability to have a quote-unquote Palestinian state, because they would have to acknowledge Israel's right to exist as well. They won't accept that. It's in their charter. We have to destroy Israel and take that land for our own, and that is what we will call Palestine. That's the fact. And I'm sure it's point. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. So I want to share something with you here uh, real quick as we move into the final segment of the broadcast. Um, Strictly Speaking, which is my new uh, talk show on uh, on uh, the True Blue Network, which you can find on Roku Channel 529, also on Fire Stick. Uh, it'll be in a lot of other places very soon as well, uh, but uh, as well as the True Blue app. Just, and go, just go to watchtrueblue.com, watchtrueblue.com. TrueBlue.com, you can do that. But if you've got Roku, and anybody can have Roku on their devices, just download the Roku app, and you'll be able to watch this show easily. And like I said, any TV that has Roku devices or just the Roku channel software on it, you can watch this. Anyway, Strictly Speaking, Episode 3 drops today, and my guest, my special guest for over an hour talking about everything and anything political is uh, Larry Elder. Uh, Larry and I spoke uh, just a few days ago. This episode drops today. It'll be on this afternoon, I want to say, like 4 o'clock, I think. Um, and so I want to play a little clip of it. Uh, Larry Elder might be the most anti-Democrat party and anti-Democrat politician that I've ever talked to. I mean, it's it's hilarious with him. It is hilarious. This is a very short excerpt of the uh, full hour-plus episode of uh, Strictly Speaking with Bob France and uh, special guest today, Larry Elder. Listen. 
And, of course, that didn't work just exactly the way I wanted it to. Something is not right, but let's fix it. Here we go. I want to challenge you on something. Okay. You have taken Joe Biden to the woodshed in this conversation. You have taken Gavin Newsom there two, three times. He came back. Uh, you took you, uh, it's, is, you can't hear it. Is it too low? Yeah, I don't know why that is. This is a rumble thing. This is a rumble thing, and it's bothering me because some other people have talked about it when I've posted this before. It's so low because coming out of my speakers when this is uploaded, is it is nice and loud and clear, and I, I don't know what else. Okay. Let me see if you I can. have taken Joe Biden to the woodshed in this conversation. You have taken Gavin Newsom there two, three times. He came back. Uh, you, took, you took Kamala Harris there. I think you took Bernie Sanders there. I'm going to make you a challenge. Okay. Name is it? Is it? Whoa, okay, hold on now. That's that's not going to work. Okay. I was going to ask you if it was passable, but then that just uh, turned me up to way too loud, too, and I don't want to blow people out. All right, my apologies. I don't know why. When, whenever I think the audio level is clear, which it certainly is when I uh, t- played this uh, for myself in queue, I'm good. And then when I try to play it over the air, it's very, very low. I don't know why it is. I'll work on it, I promise. But suffice it to say, uh, the conversation I had with Larry Elder was very entertaining because he is, I think it's impossible for him to not be entertaining. But the question that I was asking him in this clip was to say one nice thing about a democrat any democrat you should have seen him twist he was struggling so hard to find anybody and then eventually i asked him um if you couldn't you know and this is by the way right before he suspended his campaign for president when we recorded this um i said if it's not you and it can't be any republican if a democrat is going to be the next president of the united states it's a must. You have. There's no choice. It's going to be a Democrat. Which one could you live with? Which one would you want? And his answer was hilarious. Uh, so I'm just going to leave it at that. I was going to give you a little teaser here, but just since the audio quality is not what it needs to be, my apologies. We will. Um, you will have to watch that for yourself. So watch it on Roku Channel 529 if you have the app or if you have it on your TV uh, or Fire Stick, and you can also, of course, watch it at WatchTrueBlue.com. All right, uh, Yanina. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Anina. Go right ahead. Yes, yes, good morning. Well, you know, Hamas in Hebrew means violence and murder. And everything is instigated by Iran rulers. And this is why they're doing it. And when you say Kamala Harris doesn't doesn't make any sense, she's dodging. She's just dodging, saying anything. Somebody asks her one question, she's answer absolutely, completely different things. And, uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think she's dodging. I know what politics, politicians dodging sounds like because they all do it. They all deflect and they'll go off into another direction and answer another question, but they do so articulately and artfully. She doesn't dodge because she's trying to be strategic. She's just stupid. She doesn't know the answers. So she, she completely, that's why she word salads herself like nobody else. No other politician, when they're trying to dodge Anina, can, can, can toss word salads quite like Kamala Harris, where she just can't figure out anything smart to say, so she just says things to fill the spot. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think it's dodging. I think she literally just doesn't have the right answers inside of her head. Well, but they do do provocation. Haman is done, provocation done from Iran. What about somebody in the <laughs> Supreme Court who doesn't know what, 
what the woman means, what they mean about this one. Yeah, now she died. She, that, that's a great example. Hold on. That's a great example of what I'm talking about. You're talking about uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, who is the, the new right. Supreme Court Justice, and they asked her during the confirmation hearings, and she said, I don't know, I'm not a biologist. That's a dodge, because she didn't want to have to take a position on something that was going to bring her under great scrutiny as she fought for confirmation to the Supreme Court. That's different than Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris doesn't dodge. Kamala Harris is just too dumb to understand the concept of what she was asked. She really is that stupid, <clears throat> and she makes it clear every time she she goes on a, a public stage. I'm I'm sorry. They asked you one question. She's talking about green energy. She's in. She never answers questions straight. She never gives the straight answer. What's the reason? Yeah, but because she doesn't know the answer. She doesn't know the answer. She actually somehow thinks that they are popular. And she was told, you're not popular. Your, your poll numbers are tanking through the, through the floor. You know, why is that? She doesn't have the answer. So she had to spin off into another direction. But, but here's, and thank you, Yanina, for the phone call. I have a whole section of, of clips of Kamala Harris just to kind of explain what I'm talking about. See, this is how I know it's not just she's not dodging a tough question. Because she does this in prepared remarks. You know what I mean? Where she's not answering a question of a reporter or somebody at a press conference. It's her own speech. And in her own speech, she sounds as... Uh, I'm going to go fourth, maybe, grade? As articulate as a fourth grader. Given a book report. On a book that she hasn't read. That's kind of how she does things. That's how she sounds. I'm I, I maybe fifth. I don't. I think fourth grade is probably a little bit more, 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 more uh, accurate. But even in in prepared remarks, she doesn't know how to sound intelligent and articulate. I am here, standing here on the northern flank, on the eastern flank, talking about what we have in terms of the eastern flank and our NATO allies. And what is at stake at this very moment? What is at stake this very moment are some of the guiding principles around the NATO alliance, and in particular, the issue and the importance of defending sovereignty and territorial integrity, in this case of Ukraine. She doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know what she is supposed to say, and the words that she has in front of her make make no sense to her. And so she, and, and that's why most of the time she gets into giggle fits over it as the well. The refugee system is essentially not set up for this, that it will collapse. It's an improvised system that can work for maybe two weeks, but not indefinitely. And I'm wondering what the United States is going to do more specifically to set up a permanent infrastructure. And relatedly, is the United States willing to make a specific allocation for Ukrainian refugees? And for President Judah, I wanted to know if you think, and if you asked the United States to specifically accept more refugees. Okay. <laughs> a friend in need is a friend in need. <laughs> okay, so this time. She was asked a very specific question and had not clue one and so she giggled and looked at the other guy the polish president and waited for him to answer because she had nothing she giggled for a good what eight seconds straight there 
Uh, a friend in need is a friend indeed. <laughs> I, the, 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 I said before, say it again. She is Joe Biden's greatest insurance policy to make sure he stays uh, 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 as the number one on the ticket. She is his greatest insurance policy. This country would be over inside of two years if this woman was at the helm. She was the face of the United States if she was our commander-in-chief in charge of our military, in charge of our diplomacy. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.